I invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 66. We're taking a, a, a brief detour from our study of the book of Romans, which we are coming to an end in that series. We'll begin chapter 16 next week, and Memorial Day weekend will be our final in at least this series of our study of the book of Romans. Uh, but seizing an opportunity to, uh, on the calendar, the part of our culture, talking about uh, uh, one thing, mothers, and particularly this weekend, I uh, wanted to focus our attention on certain aspects of our God, whom we not only worship, uh, but in whom we live and breathe and have our being. Our passage this morning is Isaiah 66. I'll be reading verses 12 through 14. Hear the word of God. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the nations like an overflowing stream. And you shall nurse, you shall be carried upon her hip, and bounced upon her knees. As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice. Your bones shall flourish like the grass, and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And he shall show his indignation against his enemies. The word of our God. Let's pray. Our Father, as we worship and praise you and open ourselves to you in our hearts and our lives, we now open our minds pray that by your Spirit, you might renew us. Renew us in mind as we consider what you are like, as we recognize how great your love is for us. Um, as you have refined us, we love because you have first loved us. So Lord, may we know your love this morning. We pray in the name of Christ our King. Amen. Ancient Jewish rabbis had a, a cute little saying. He said, God couldn't be everywhere, so he made mothers. Now, theologically, there's some problems with that statement. God is everywhere. But moving the heresy aside, there is also some profound truth. Because God has given us the gift of mothers. And mothers reflect a beautiful part of God's nature and character. Now, it is absolutely true that God is a father. Our Lord Jesus Christ came and he revealed the, the nature of God's fatherhood. He regularly referred to our father, my father. He taught us to pray, our father who is in heaven. And you know, even that idea of being able to, to pray to our father in such an intimate way was, was mind-blowing to uh, to the people of his day, the idea that we could approach God as if as our our Father, and then Paul reinforced the fatherhood of God when he says that we are able to cry out Abba because Christ has earned that right by faith. We become children of God. We we are able to cry Abba, meaning Daddy. It's even a more intimate expression of our relationship. We approach God as our Dad. But in Isaiah 66 and, and many other places in, in the Scripture, uh, 
we see God, who is indeed a, a father, but he likens himself to a mother. In our passage that we're looking at and launching from this morning, we, we see the imagery of mother and child. And in verse 13, he says, as one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. God is likening himself to a, a mother here and again, as he does elsewhere throughout the scriptures. And this makes sense to me because uh, that God would liken himself to a mother, even though he is a, a, a father, uh, because I do believe it takes both a mother and a father to really model the full orb of God's character and his personality. One is not sufficient. We, we need the characteristics of both. Fatherhood, as we tend to think of it, offers certain characteristics that we also see of God. That would be, you know, strength and power and uh, protection and provision. And yet, as we tend to think of mothers and characteristics associated with them, not that they do not have those other characteristics, but generally we associate uh, with mothers, you know, gentleness and sensitivity and approachableness. And all of those are characteristics of God. And so it takes both mother and father to really gave us a better picture, a clearer picture of who God is and how we are able to relate to him. But this morning, what I want to do is I want to consider uh, the mother-like heart of our Father God. Before we jump into some of the characteristics, I want to also make a couple of very clear points. First, I am not suggesting that God is female, nor is he male. God is God, and he's created man after his image. We don't need to return that favor and recreate him as if he is ours. Nor am I making a case for gender fluidity. God is not confused. He created man after his image, male and female. He has created us. And so he's not confused about that. And the fact that he uses both characteristics is to help us to understand what he is like, but we don't turn him to be like us. What I am doing is simply agreeing with, with a theologian, John Frame, who makes this statement. Scripture describes God in both male and female terms. And then Frame goes on and says this, though the overwhelming preponderance of the imagery is male. And while that's the overwhelming preponderance of, the, of what is revealed, today we're going to look at the other characteristics, or at least the way that we tend to associate that. And so the first thing that I want to just bring to our attention, uh, remind or, 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 or highlight is this, is like a good mother, our Father God accepts those who are his. He accepts his children. You might have heard the expression, and no doubt you've heard the expression, you know, there's a face that only a mother could love. You know, you never hear there's a face that only a father could love. Not that that wouldn't be true, but, you know, you just don't hear that for some reason. I'm not necessarily sure why that is, but it seems to be the case. You know, in our own family, it may be illustrated in certain things in our life. I remember there was a time in, uh, when our, our children were growing up, our, our son, we were at, uh, he, um, yeah, I think it was eighth grade football game, and he threw an interception. And his mother said, oh. And his father said, who raised that kid? You know, and so, um, you know, just different perspectives on the way that you relate to children at times, at least stereotypically. Legend has it that on the inauguration day, 1952, a reporter um, approached the, the mother of uh, President-elect Dwight David Eisenhower. 
uh, quite impressive man, had been a five-star general, very rare, the supreme commander of the Allied forces, now having been elected president of the United States, and the reporter approached uh, his mother and, she said, you, and said, you must be very proud of your son. And she replied, which one? Because Ike was one of seven sons. And while the eyes of people tend to recognize one and perhaps forget the others, and if you had a brother who was, you know, five-star general, supreme commander of the forces, president of the United States, it's pretty tough to top that. And the world looks at that and may look at one and may forget the other. That's not the heart of a mother. And that's not the heart of our Father God. And I want to just ask you a question this morning. Do you know that? Do you know that God doesn't look at certain people that you might admire, those who would be considered great spiritual leaders, whether it's Billy Graham of a previous generation or Jonathan Edwards of, you know, even you know, heroes of, of the faith of the past. And he doesn't, or, you know, it could be, you know, Mother Teresa. It could be you know, any number of people. And, and, and look at those people and say, yes, that's my, that's my child. And, oh, yeah, uh, looking at you, yeah, they're in the family too. That's not the way that our God functions. Our God loves those who belong to him you belong to him. He loves you. And, and he even says this about his people in a beautiful, beautiful passage in Zephaniah 317. God speaking to a people who had been in rebellion and, and therefore experiencing the, 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 uh, the, the consequences of their misbehavior. The Lord says this, the Lord your God, he is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Do you know that if you are a child of God, that while we are here praising God and singing to him, God is singing to you the lullaby, the songs of love, the songs of affection that he has for you, his child. And so like a good mother, our Father God accepts those who are his. Secondly, like a good mother, our Father God he comforts his children. And that's really the, the, the nature of this passage Isaiah in Isaiah, is God is promising comfort in a time of turmoil. Now, obviously, he wouldn't be extending comfort if he didn't first accept the people. There'd be no point in that. But he's, there's a promise of comfort, and God is trying to comfort his people. Have you ever noticed when little kids get hurt? It's interesting, even whether, when both parents are there, both presents are equally accessible in the same room. When little children get injured, they tend to go tearing toward their mothers. I remember a number of years ago, I had an opportunity. I was spending some time with uh, John Perkins, who's a tremendous spiritual leader and engaged in not only racial, racial reconciliation, but uh, greatly involved in civil rights movement. I had opportunity when I was in, in seminary in Mississippi, which is where Perkins is from, and later a few years uh, in Chattanooga when I was living there, and he came in for a few days. And it was just part of a conversation. I don't know that he's written this in any of his books, but and I don't remember how the conversation got started. And I was 
part of that, but I wasn't in, I wasn't participant in this part of the conversation. I was just kind of there. I was the, the third wheel of this conversation. And somehow just talking about this whole idea about uh, mothers, and this was not supposed to be a profound, this was just more of a confession. And Perkins said that, yeah, he gets tired of that too at home. You know, the kids, they get hurt, they just run to their mothers. And he wants to demonstrate that he loves them as well. And he said that one time when their son Spencer was, was you know, probably seven years old, uh, he was just determined that he was going to offer the love and the comfort. And so all of a sudden he hears from a different room, just a, you know, a loud crash and then a wailing, uh, you know, so something had happened, kids getting hurt, and he, uh, here's, the, here's the heavy footsteps come running towards where his parents were. And John Perkins said he was going to demonstrate his love, and he said he was going to, you know, whatever it took. So he said he stood in the doorway, and he blocked the door to make sure that his son would come to him. And then he said that his son came running, and Spencer was quite an athlete, even as a young kid, apparently, without breaking stride, went into a great baseball slide, slid between his legs, got up, continued to run to his mother. At that moment, he didn't care whether dad was there or not. He wanted the comfort that comes from his mother. Now, that's, again, it may not always be the case, but it is so often the case. Our God is a comforter, and people, God's children, know where we get comfort from. And Jesus embodied this. He embodied this heart of God of being a, a comforter. In, in Matthew's gospel, in Matthew 23, uh, Jesus says this as he's uh, overlooking Jerusalem and the people uh, into which he was born. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kill the prophets and stone those who were uh, who sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together, and as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings. You know, he's, he's wanting to bring comfort to the people, and he's picking up on this imagery of, of the mother, in this case, a, a mother hen. It's because our God is a God of comfort. remember reading a farmer sharing his story of something that had impacted him. Family barn had burned down. And the next day, as he and some of the neighbors were walking through the rubble and trying to salvage whatever they could, kind of clean up uh, as, as much as they were able, uh, they noticed there was an object that was moving, slightly trembling every once in a while. That didn't make sense. It was charred. Um, but slightly moving. And so one of the neighbors went over and he kicked at the object. And when the object was kicked over, they realized that it was a mother hen. And the reason it was moving is because the chicks were under its wings. And while the mother was uh, roasted in the fire, the chicks survived and they all came running out. And this is the imagery that Jesus has for us, is that he has longed to gather people under his wings that we might be protected and that we might be covered in him. And while he absorbed the penalty and he absorbed the blow and he himself died, we live because he died. We are covered by him. You know, but the thing about the, what that passage is that Jesus, what I didn't read is the last statement that he makes there. I've longed to gather you and to, to cover you, to protect you and to comfort you under, under my wings. But you would not have it, but you were not willing. And I wonder if sometimes the reason that I can go for periods and 
and, and experience anxiety or discouragement, where I don't feel comforted, and maybe this is true for you as well, is not because God is unfaithful, but because I'm so determined to stand on my own two feet, I'm not willing to just simply rest under the wings of the God who has loved me, who has redeemed me, who has promised to cover me and to comfort me. If that's true for you, recognize the promise of God that is consistent with the nature of our God. Like a good mother, our God comforts those who are his. Now, some might say, well, you know, that might be true, but why isn't he making things easier for me? I think we need to recognize this, that our God is not only comforting us, but he is also, like a good mother, he is preparing us for something. He's preparing us for life. He's preparing us for something greater. One of the most difficult responsibilities of both parents and, and difficult, uh, uh, certainly, for, for mothers is, you know, you have a job. You have roughly 18 years to prepare a child, to comfort, to shape their lives, to give them, instill them with, uh, with values and with perspective. And your job is to set them loose so that they can function and so that they can live in this world. Your job is a job of preparation. The nature of the relationship changes, sometimes 18, sometimes 21, although sociological studies are saying it's more like 35 now. But, you know, that's uh, um, whatever it is. Uh, the good mother's job is not just to continue to always to hold, but to prepare her children for something and requires the difficult task of, of letting go. And in order to prepare children for something, it also requires them at times to experience difficulties and hardship to navigate those things because once they are out from under your wings, they're certain to experience that in this world and in this life. And so we might ask the question, if God is a God of comfort, if he's like a good mother and he does accept us, I can believe that, and he brings comfort and I've experienced that, but all this other stuff that's going on in my life, why, if God is trying to bring comfort, why doesn't he just pave the road so that the road is, is smooth? And the answer is because that's not preparing us for life in this world or to understand the greatness of his grace. If you were to go down along the parkway or on Jamestown Island, you might see uh, an eagle's nest. And in that nest, at certain times of the year, you might see uh, the, uh, uh, the young eagles chirping away. And the hen in, in love is, is going to you know, feed them for a time and, and protect them in the nest. Uh, and eventually, uh, there comes a time where the the, the, these, these little eagles need to leave the nest. And at times, the mother eagle is the one who kicks them out of the nest or even has, turns the nest upside down or turns it on its side so that if any of them are reluctant to leave the nest, uh, they don't have a choice, you know? Gravity, physics takes place. And so they have a choice at that point in time, you know, either fly or crash. And so the mother um, eagle and love for and you know, nature instinct that God has put in, in the bird um, has tended for a time and then preparing boots them out. 
Now, no doubt, while the mother is trying to push them out and ultimately perhaps tipping the nest, the, the little ones are, are squawking and, and screeching and flapping their wings. And if they get tipped out, no doubt the, the, the small one is thinking they are about to die. But inevitably, at, at some point, in between the squawking and the squealing and the whatever and the flapping of the wings, the young eagle then begins to fly. And God is preparing us in the same way that while he comforts, while he strengthens, while he makes promises, he also lets us endure things in this world and yet he never leaves us. But we endure them and we are strengthened by them so that we are able to live. And when that happens, I, at least me, and, and I know I'm not alone in this, I'm a lot like those little eagles. I'm squawking, I'm squealing, I'm screaming, sometimes cursing. And yet I have not crashed. I've been certain many times that death was just a moment away. At least it seemed that way. And yet I'm here. And God has been with me and God has prepared me and he's continuing to prepare me because there's still life to live. And so we need to recognize that when our, our, the nest of our comfort gets overturned, it's not because God doesn't care. It's because he does care. And because like a good mother, he is preparing us. And in that preparation, he is strengthening us that we might live and see his love. And the last thing I just want to touch on is this. Like a good mother, our Father God has patience with us, which is good news for all of us. Maybe me especially. You ever go to the zoo and look at the different animals? I, I'm amazed, uh, particularly sometimes when I've gone to see the, 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 the tigers with uh, and, and new cubs. Uh, the new cubs are not particularly delicate uh, around their mother. They're prancing around, and the mother looks like she's kind of worn out having, you know, like a lot of mothers. And they're prancing around, and then they pounce on her, and then they run away, and they come back, and they swat her with a paw across the face. And she just sits there and takes it. Once in a while, we'll bring them back in or push them a little bit away. I mean, I guess even tigers get annoyed every once in a while. Uh, but, you know, if you just watch for a time, it's, it just really is amazing. But the, the mother tiger is incredibly, incredibly patient. And, and the reality is, I think that those little tigers uh, are a reflection of the way that I live my life so often. You know, so busy about my own concerns and going about things that I, when things don't go my way, I, I either snip it at God or, just, you know, I, it, it, and yet our God just absorbs the different ways in which we you know, ignore him or care about ourselves. And he's just incredibly patient with us. And it's most perfectly demonstrated in the fact that Jesus absorbed whatever it is that we poured out. He was mocked and he was spat upon. His response was, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. The part is like a young child, like an infant. We, we just went by instinct. We, we had no knowledge of what we do sometimes. But our God is incredibly patient with us. And he puts up with the pains and the biting and the 
scratching that we do and has even made sure that we know, as Paul wrote to us in, in Romans 8, there's nothing, nothing that can separate you from his love, which is characteristic of a good mother. Again, I want to get one thing straight. As we consider God and the mother-like heart of our Father God, this is not a case for gender fluidity or confusion. I have to say that in case somebody missed that in the front end. But more seriously, I, I, I want to say this is, I know this is a hard day for many. And as I've kind of glossed over certain characteristics of mothers, it might even make it harder for some because some, maybe even several or many in this room, didn't have mothers or mothers who were characteristic of this. If you did have a mother who, was character, who, who had many of those characteristics and other godly characteristics, and I, I think that's most who are here, you need to particularly give thanks to God because it's an incredible blessing that you have been given that not everybody has in this world. And while the temptation might be for those who didn't have that, to be particularly saddened or to feel somehow you were left out, you need to remember that it is God who embraces these, who is with you, no less than he is with others. And his love is constant. And my prayer for those who have that struggle is that God in his grace would enable you to experience and to understand that nature of God, because if you didn't have the mother who was characterized by such gracious love, it's difficult to imagine a God who is that way. And so I pray that that would not hinder you from experiencing God's grace, and when you do experience it, a whole new world opens up. But for everybody here, whether you've been blessed with a, a godly mother, a good mother, a loving mother, or not, I think the calendar in our culture gives us this day as a reminder and an opportunity to do what God commands us to do in the fifth commandment, to honor our mothers. Honoring is not necessarily always in obedience, and it doesn't necessarily always mean that, you know, you're going to be best friends. That's great when that can happen. We honor our parents as we are commanded when we live the lives that we are to live. We honor our parents when we essentially become trophies. When you live your life in such a way that your mother hears about you and through others, sees you through others' eyes, somebody goes to your mother and would say, you must be proud, because look at your daughter, look at your son, and the man or woman they are.
So it's an encouragement to honor your mothers, and as you have opportunity, then to also uh, to demonstrate love for that honor. But more than that, this is a day where we can recognize the best of what your mother is. It's a reflection of our Father God. And so if you have known the mother's love, recognize how great is the Father's love for you. Holy God, we thank you this day. Of a love that we cannot fathom, a love that we could not shake even if we tried and some of us have at different times. A love that is powerful and transforming, all-encompassing. A love that is patient and it is shaping. A love that is accepting and a love that is comforting. And I pray your people who are gathered here today would know all of those qualities and experience you, our God, not merely as a cosmic theological concept, but as an intimate, loving person. Envelop us in your love, we pray, that we may love you and love others in response. We pray in Christ, the ideal, the perfect reflection and example, also our Redeemer. Amen.